Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Well, hey there, family. Okay, that's all right. No, no, I'm not going to say it again. You get it once, that's all. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people. Like, No. Okay. How's it going? So I, I feel like you only got on, in on about half of what was going on there with Max, and I feel like it's my job to enlighten you a little further. Is that what I did there, enlighten you? All right, so, any, oh, yeah, I, hey. Anyway, so if, if you don't, obviously, probably many of you don't know Max really well yet, Max actually collects flashlights. The only person I have ever met that collects flashlights, but he does, and so if you are a flashlight nerd, um, totally geek out with him on that. He will talk about lumens and all kinds of other stuff I don't understand because I'm not a flashlight guy. Um, the fact of the matter is that I'm, uh, I'm left-handed. Oh, okay. So if you're left-handed, raise your left hand. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's actually, yeah, I think that statistically bears out. That's uh, about 10% of the population is left-handed. Yeah? Yeah, okay. About 10% of you are clapping right now. Okay, that's, that's about, that sounds about right. Um, it's a really weird anomaly. Actually, all throughout history, the, the left-hand dominant population has stayed at pretty much a steady 10%, something that geneticists kind of struggle with because it, technically we should have been eradicated a long time ago. But here we are. Um, and... Uh, and I, I do, I know some of you really were taking a chance when you raised your hand to admit that you're left-handed because, you know, back during the, uh, you know, maybe five, six, seven hundred years ago, you could be burnt at the stake for that. Did you know that? Yeah. Like, people thought that left-handed, people who are left-handed dominant were witches or there is something evil. In fact, the, the Latin name for left means sinister. It means dark. I know, I, some of you are thinking, well, this explains a lot with Ken. We're, we're understanding more now. Um, shame on you, you shouldn't think that. All right, so, but no, so that's, that's true. That's a true fact. And uh, can I just, can I do, would you guys do, be willing to do a little therapy with me for a minute? It's hard being a left-hander. Can I just be honest with you? It is. It's, some of you right-handed people, I hear you mocking me right now. But let me tell you, those of us who are left-handed, we know this is true, right? Or left, I guess I should say. Anyway, um, left-handed, it, it is a, a right-handed world. It, it is. And if you don't believe me, just try it out. It, it is chainsaws. No, seriously, like, think about, think about where the handle is for, for... It's set up for right-handed people. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, and like I said, they, they, I go, can I go back to they burnt people at the stake? For being left? Can I just go back to that for a second? And, and not so long ago, actually, my great-grandmother, we think, 
was left-hand dominant. We don't know because when she went to school, she started trying to write with her left hand and her teacher taught her that only good people, good people write with their right hand. And so they forced her to learn how to write with her right hand. Now she does, a, she did a lot of other things left-handed, but they, they kind of forced her into that right-handed dominant world. And um, when I was going to school, uh, enlightenment had come and they knew that, you know, that you probably shouldn't be burnt at the stake or forced to write with your right hand. But I, can, I, can I just tell you, for those of you who are left-handed, how hard is it to get a left-handed desk every year? Some of you know what I mean. I cannot tell you how many times I have hit my funny bone because just trying to write in the side of the desk. You, don't, you right-handed people don't understand. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Just trust me on it. And the other, the other incredible discrimination, this is like, this is rampant. It is still rampant today, and I am all for eradicating this kind of behavior, okay? I'm, I'm just, ta I'm talking for a second here. Thank you. So, handwriting papers. Thank you. Somebody said yes. Thank you. Handwriting papers, you right-hand people have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But go find any first, second, or third grade kid and look at, the, look at their, this part of their hand. It doesn't matter what color skin you have, you have the same color of skin if you follow me because it is dark from the pencil lead or it is... And, and you know what? Teachers will dock your grade because your handwriting is smudged. Even though you're doing the best you can, and, and it's not your fault that, that somebody decided a long time ago that you have to write from left to right. It, you should have done like the, the Jewish people did and go from left to right. That's what should have happened, but it didn't. <laughs> and because if the majority had to suffer that way, they would rethink the way that they did things, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so I was actually going to stop, but now I am going to continue. So another, another major problem with the world, as a pastor, I have to go to weddings, and you people who plan your weddings, you never have a left-handed ladle for the punch bowl. Never. Do you, do you have any idea how difficult it is to ladle punch with your left hand in a right-handed ladle. Think about it. You, you write, you take it, you dip it, and you just, you just, you don't even think about it. You just put it right in your cup. <laughs> Me, I grab my cup, and because I am very left-handed dominant, I have to, I take my cup, and I grab that little ladle, and it, it's going to pour this way, so I, I wow. dip it very awkwardly in. And, and, thank you. Thank you. I feel like you're being insincere, but I accept it anyway. I accept it anyway. And this is, and this is the reason why my clothes are always stained, okay? That, it is not real. So, now you know. I noticed nobody's saying to keep on preaching on this. So, I'm going to go ahead and move on here. But can I just say, for all of those of you who are left-handed in the room, you just connected with me, didn't you? You know, you, yeah. You just connected with me because you're like, yes. Finally, somebody is telling the truth. Somebody is saying what needs to be said. 
and that there should changes in the world should take place and Ken gets me. Ken sees me. Ken is like me. Commonality is where we start building relationships, isn't it? It is the cornerstone and foundation of relationships. It's commonality. It's why it tends to be that uh, in a lot of the world, our friends look a lot like us. Um, grew up where we grew up. Make, seems like, you know, if you think about your best friends, they probably are in pretty close to the same socioeconomic bracket you're in. You just start thinking, it's commonality. It's a building block. It's where we start. Because it's hard to relate to people. Like, some of you are like just gritting your teeth while I was talking. You're like, this is, come on. We came to get a message about, you know, something spiritual. And you're going off on your little thing that only impacts 10% of the population anyway. We tend to want to hang out with the people that are like us. And it can be very difficult to connect when there are differences. And what I want to get at today, as we continue our series on connection, we've talked about why connection is important. We've talked about why it's important to connect with God last week and how to connect and what that looks like and how it can be like a puzzle sometimes. This week, I want to talk to you about connecting with others. And the question that I hope that you will really ponder as we talk about this is who is it that God wants me to connect with? Notice I didn't say Ken. Who does God want me to connect with? Who is God looking for me to connect with? There's a lot of people in this room. Even the most social person in this room would be hard place. It would be a hard job to connect with every single person in this room. I think maybe, you know, Andy, you were here for 37 years, right? I bet you you know a lot of the people here. Um, and I know for sure when you're a pastor, you, you're amazing with names. I envy you so much. <laughs> that's, that's not a skill I brought with me. Um, so, but it took, it took you years to get there, right? It takes a while. I mean, I feel like after three years, I'm kind of beginning, beginning to get there a little bit more. But it's hard. It takes time. And if the truth be told, uh, Andy and I, are, we, we get a paycheck to connect with people, right? Not all of you do. Um, so who is God asking you to connect with? That's really what I want to get at today. Does God expect you to connect with every person in this room, every person in Orlando, every person that you ever come across? Well, let's, let's talk about that and kind of get to that point. I think we probably would be wise to kind of start off by kind of getting to the foundation of God's expectations when it comes to connection, though. And in Galatians 5.14, we find this text written by Paul. It says, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what I find interesting about this is that Paul and James, who wrote the book of James, they don't seem to agree on much. Like, they're like, they're like on, you know, Paul is like, for grace we are saved. And James like, yeah, but you better do something, okay? I mean, that's, uh, and so it can seem like they're in conflict a lot of the time. But can I just point out to you that Paul and James agree on this one for sure. There's not, I mean, even the, the, the theologian that likes to pit them against each other the most has to say they agree on this. James, yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. This command was foundational to the early Christian church. It was, I would argue, at the very core of Christianity. And it was a bit of a change in the way that religions across the board viewed connection and relationship. In fact, it isn't James and Paul that bring this about. It's actually Jesus who, when he's asked what the greatest commandment is in Mark 12, he says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And all his friends that were Jewish were with him there because this is the creed of Israel. This is, this is the bedrock. This is the Shema. This is, they say it every morning, every evening, before, when you wake up, when you go to bed. Core. And then Jesus says, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And honestly, there wasn't a lot of disagreement with Jesus on. This wasn't a particular, his listeners were like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay. But his listeners, and why they said it was cool is because in Deuteronomy 6.5, Jesus is actually doing a mashup. He mashes Deuteronomy 6.5 with Leviticus 19.18. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's usually there's readers would, and listeners would have been like, yeah, we get that. We see where you're coming from. This is standard practice. This makes sense. You're, you're cool. But who is my neighbor? In Luke, Jesus has a young man come before him, says, what do I need to be, do to be saved? Jesus says, you need to follow the commandments. You need to do that. The guy goes, yeah, I do all that good stuff. And the, then the attorney is, he says, well, well, hey, but who is my neighbor? And says he's doing it to justify his actions. I love that, that Luke includes that little part in. Because basically, there was a theological debate. See, this question wasn't like, it wasn't something this guy just thought up on the spot for Jesus. This was a theological debate that was going on in the Jewish seminary. It was going on in Jewish theological circles. Who is your neighbor? Because going back to Leviticus 19, remember we saw that? It says, you shall f- love your fellow Israelite. It says that. It says that. That's your neighbor. And the, um, and, and, and the New Living Translation has been very nice by filling in. It says your fellow Israelite. In the actual word-for-word translation, it would say you must love your brother, those who are your brothers. And New Living is correct. That's what it was, was, it was implying. It was your fellow Israelite. But it, what happened in the Jewish debates, because theologians love to debate words, who is my brother? Who is my neighbor? Who is that person? Is it just the person that's in my immediate family? Is it the person who's in my clan? Is it the person who attends my synagogue? Is it the person who's a part of my tribe? Is it the person who's a Christian? Is it just Seventh-day Adventist? Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus being the amazing teacher that he is, he doesn't directly answer the question. He actually tells a story. And it's a story that we call today the story of the Good Samaritan. It actually isn't called that story. They don't call it that there. We've just kind of put that name on it. And probably a lot of people, whether you're Christian or not Christian, have heard of the Good Samaritan. You may not be super familiar with the story, so I'm going to give all of you just a real quick refresher on the story. This man asked this question, who's my neighbor? So Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There was an Israelite headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, all of his listeners would have been very familiar with that stretch of land. It's like I, I won't do it, but I could name a place here in Orlando, and you would know that would not be a good place to go walking. 
okay? You visualize whatever. I didn't say it. I'm just saying there's, there's places... There are places that you would know that if I told you that you were walking through, you would not be surprised to find out what happens next in the story, that the man is robbed and beaten until it appears that he is just that close to being dead. He is almost dead. And so as the story goes, a priest comes walking by, maybe the equivalent of a a high-ranking church official, You know, maybe we'll just go in the whole life context. It would be me. I come walking by and I like that guy's half dead. I'm going to keep walking. I don't want to stop. If I get out of my car, I too may wind up like him. And then I couldn't help him. So maybe I'll call it in later. I don't know. But Jesus story, the priest keeps on walking. And then after him comes John Monday, because I just like to pick on John Monday. (laughs) The Levite is in this story. John Monday comes walking past. John Monday looks at him and thinks, this is a bad part of town. I don't even know if the guy is really alive. And if I stop, if he's dead, I, probably, I, might, I mean, this might be some sort of trap. I'm going to keep walking. I keep walking. So John keeps walking too. And then, um, after that, Jesus says, a Samaritan came by. Again, I don't want to put a label on anybody, so I'm not going to do it. Just to say it's somebody that doesn't get along in Christian circles. How about that? Like somebody that would be an outcast from Christianity if we're going to kind of put it into our own context today. Somebody that would be considered an outcast. Whoever you would consider an outcast, you just put that label on there. And this person comes walking by. Jesus calls them a Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jewish people did not get along. They physically did not get along. They were, they were known for fighting each other. They did not care for each other. They did not like each other at all. And so what the, the Israelite listener would have heard is, well, this guy was certainly going to keep on going by. He's not going to help the guy out. But that's exactly what the the Samaritan does in this story. He stops, he binds up the wounds of the the man, puts him, you know, takes him down to a a place where he can get help and then makes sure that he receives the help and tells the person, I will pay whatever bills this guy runs up. I will take care of it. So the tab's on me. Don't worry about it. You'll get paid. And then Jesus, at the end of his story, says to the man who is asking it, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? What's the answer? The one who helped him. The one who helped him was the neighbor. But what I really want you to take a moment and look at is that Jesus does something really interesting here. Look at the question the man asked, who is my neighbor? Look at what Jesus asked the man, who was a neighbor? The tenses matter and verbiage matters. Jesus doesn't say back to him, so after telling this story, who is a neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Because this is a thing that people love to do with pastors, right? As a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, one of the things that I will get asked the most often is, so how do I keep Sabbath? How do I keep Sabbath properly? Is it okay to do this, Ken? Is it not okay to do that? And because what what the guy was asking, and what I often, when somebody asks me this, is you want me to justify your actions. Or you want to be able to debate with me on so you can justify your actions. And that's exactly what this guy was doing. He wanted Jesus to say, okay, these people are your neighbor. These people are not your neighbor. Nice and tidy, easily done. We're done with that. And then he could debate. He'd go, well, I agree with you that these people are my neighbor, but I don't agree with you that when you're saying these people are, but I think these people over here that you say weren't my neighbor, I think those... 
He was ready to have a good debate. Jesus actually changes the wording around of his question. Instead of saying, who is my neighbor? He, he says, who was a neighbor? He changes, neighbor is a noun. But Jesus finds a, a brilliant way of turning neighbor into a verb. Being a neighbor versus who is a neighbor. Jesus changes it from who do I get to exclude to who should I be? Who should I be? So how does this help us today when we try to answer the question of what it means to be a neighbor? What it means to make connections here at Whole Life? Well, one thing I want to point out to you is that while we kind of think that Jesus was revolutionary and that he um, made this up on the spot that everybody's your neighbor, here's the problem. They were arguing over a verse, but if they would have gone down the page a little bit further in Leviticus 19, they would have come across this. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord. Do you see that the wording is exactly the same? Basically, Jesus, Jesus said it back then. Jesus had already laid it out back at Mount Sinai, back when they were in the wilderness. Everybody's your neighbor. The person that you come in contact with is your neighbor, period. End stop. Doesn't matter if they dress like you, look like you, come from the same family as you, come from the same tribe as you. Everybody's your neighbor. So let's talk about that for a minute, about that connection thing. Ken, are you trying to say that I'm supposed to connect with everybody? I thought at the beginning you said that was impossible. It is. But you know who you can connect with? Who good God puts on the side of the road? Your road. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the road you're journeying. You're not going to be able to meet everybody in this place. But God's going to put people in this place in your path. And some of them are going to need you to connect with them. Some of them are going to need your time. Some of them maybe need your finances. Some of them just need to feel like they're seen. Don't forget who God is when it comes to the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament, God, Abraham goes ahead and who's that, who's that woman that Abraham and Sarah decide to go ahead and kind of treat badly? Oh, Hagar, yeah. Remember her? She kind of got a raw deal. But you know who she calls God? The God who sees me. The God who sees me. You know, there's some people in this church who just need to be seen. They don't need your money. They don't necessarily need you to spend the next, you know, three weeks having meals with them. They just need you to see them. Just to make them feel like they're valid as a human being. So maybe the question when it comes to connection is not who am I supposed to connect with, but how can I connect with who God puts into my space and that God touches my heart and says, hey, that's someone I need you to connect with. So in my opinion, there are two different groups of people in the world. There are those who see themselves as the type that are going to build up and appreciate difference, and those who believe that difference is, is not good, and they're not going to be positive, and they're going to go ahead and see the negative and what's wrong with difference. 
I can tell you that one of the most life-changing experiences for me, it changed my, I, I cannot imagine what my 2020 would have been like had it not been for my relationship with my friend Furman Fordham, who came and spoke here last February. For those of you who might not have been here, don't remember, Furman Fordham and I pastored churches that were less than 15 minutes apart in Nashville. I pastored my church for three full years, not realizing that he was 15 minutes away from me because he pastored a predominantly African-American church. Almost the same attendance, almost a lot of same things, but I just never connected with him. I was lonely as all get out. Felt like there was nobody who understood what I was doing. And 15 minutes away, I got to put somebody who completely understood what I was doing. But I didn't connect because we were in different conferences. We were in different situations. And finally, God put us together. And we did make that connection. The crazy thing was, like I said, commonality is where things start off. And what I discovered is that, like me, Furman had been a product of Seventh-day Adventist education. He went all the way through college in Seventh-day Adventist education. I discovered that, like me, he had taken a year out in college to go serve his church as a youth pastor. Like me, I found out that he hadn't intended to be a pastor. He had majored in something completely different. Like me, he married a teacher. I can keep on going with the like me's. We have a lot, a lot, a lot in common, but we do have some important differences. Unlike me, he grew up in a, having an African-American experience in the United States that's different than mine. And one of the things that completely and utterly changed my life was developing the friendship with the commonalities, but then beginning to understand why the differences were beautiful. <coughs> Growing up, in the culture that I grew up, the greatest compliment that you could ever say to somebody is, I don't see color, I treat everybody the same. And Furman changed my viewpoint on that. In the conversations that were grace-filled that we had together, Furman said, well, would you like to only view the world in black and white? And I said, I would not. He said, why not? He said, because color is a beautiful thing. He said, Ken, you're left-handed. Do you want to be treated like everyone else? Do you want to be treated like the other 90%? I said, I know. I would really like to have a left-handed ladle, and I would really like... <laughs> you knew that was coming back. You knew it. Those of you who have heard me preach know that th th these things do not go to waste. <laughs> the point is, we should see color. We should see differences because when we refuse to see them, we don't recognize what the other people need. Because while the commandment says to love your neighbor as yourself, what we can all recognize is that we want to be loved in the way that we need to be loved, not in the way that somebody else wants to be loved. And so this can apply across not just color barriers. It can apply across a lot of other barriers that are out there. Our differences are what bring color into the relationship. And if all we ever do is stick on the commonalities, we miss out on the beauty that God has brought into this world for us to appreciate and to enjoy and to celebrate. And so when God puts that person that's different than you in your path, the first thing you should recognize is they may not be as different as you think. But then you might stop and think about how you can learn and grow from the life experience that they've appreciated 
that may be able to shape and change the way that you view the world. You may never agree on things, but you may at least be able to see why somebody looks at the world differently than you do. And that is one of the greatest gifts that God gave me and my friendship with Puck. And one of the things that I have been grateful for, like I said, I would have had a completely different 2020 experience had I not had a friend to walk with me who was letting me see the world through a different viewpoint, a little different. I don't know that I've changed all my views and ideas, and I don't think that uh, Furman has either, but we both see the world a little bit crisper, a little bit more vibrantly because we came into each other's life. So let's be careful about not making connections just because we think, well, this person is a lot different than me. Let's realize that sometimes that's an opportunity, but also let's not start off by like, hey, you're different. Tell me about that. <laughs> if you come up to me and just seem to want to be my friend because I'm left-handed, I'm offended. <laughs> I mean, you're smart, but I'm still offended. <laughs> I want to be liked for all of me. The fact that I at one time had red hair um, and no facial hair, apparently. Um, um, so you're like, oh, that's you. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Think about the great friendships of the Bible for just a minute. Jonathan David, there's actually probably a very large age gap between the two of them. Jonathan came from a privileged royal family. David came from the poorest of the poor clan, apparently, according to him. I'm the least of the clans and the youngest child. Think about, um, think about Ruth and Naomi, two different countries, Moabitess, Israelite, old, young, in-laws. Yes, that can be a hard one to connect across. Um, so think about it for a second, though. The great friendships of the Bible, I think the more you think about it, the more you'll see how much difference there was. Jesus and his disciples, think about how Jesus did not pick disciples that were like all the same. He picked disciples that came from very different backgrounds. So family, as we think about connection, I want you to think about not what you can get out of connection, but what can you give in connection? How can you build another person up? Tonight we're showing two movies. We're showing Encanto for the kids and those who like Encanto. <laughs> and I hope that if you've seen that, though, that you will take a minute to watch the other one. It's called Flamin' Hot, and it's the story of the guy who helped develop Flamin' Hot Cheetos, okay? And I'm going to show you two clips from these movies. I'm going to show you two clips from these movies, and I want you to think about what kind of person you are. Are you the kind of person that's talking to Maribel? Or are you Judy who is talking to Richard? Richard in Flamin' Hot is at a point, when you see this clip, he's going to be at a point where he feels like he's a complete failure, like he's given this idea, but he can never make it happen, and he feels like giving up. So my question is, as you watch these clips, who are you? What are you doing? Uh, they were just asking about the family. And... Oh, Mirabel didn't get one. You didn't get a gift? Um, Mirabel, delivery. I gave you the special since you're the only Madrigal kid with no gift. I call it the not special special since uh, you have no gift. Thanks. Oh, and tell Antonio good luck. Last gift ceremony was a bummer. 
last one being yours that, that did not work. Mm-hmm. If I was you, I'll be really sad. Well, my little friend, I am not. Because the truth is, gift or no gift, I am just as special as the rest of my family. Who wants more cake? All right, guys, where do I drop the wagon? Maybe your gift is being in denial. <laughs> so you can be those people? Or you can be this person. Look, you see that guy right there? With that waffle right there? Yeah, I see him. Yeah, you do? You see a good man? A special man? Because maybe that's what I see. I see a chingon. A montañez. Yo soy montañez. They're scared. Scared of what you can do for them. Scared that they've been begging for help and they got a broke Mexican kid from Huasti as their hero. They don't know what to do with that. Baby, do you know what I've been praying for all these years? That you would see the gifts and talents that you have. Baby, use your gifts. Be great. You know, just a few moment, moments after that clip that I pulled out, the voiceover of Richard speaking says, everybody needs a Judy in their life. That's what connection's about. So will you be a Judy? Well, that's one way to get connected. Yeah? Yeah. I love it. You know, uh, when I look up the screen, I thought when I saw you there standing next to, uh, what is that, I guess his nickname is Puck? Yeah. I thought it was for me for a second. I'm like, nah, that guy looks way too good looking. <laughs> anyway. Stop it. <laughs> we don't want to hear that kind right. of talk. Anyway. You are a good looking young man. <laughs> anyway, um... So we do this segment that's called Q&A, where we, you know, we uh, throw hard questions at Ken. And for those who don't know who I am, I typically work with the uh, uh, production team behind the scenes, but every now and then I come up here and again, ask hard questions to Ken. Um, we'll have one question to ask, don't ask, don't ask me why, uh, blame Ken, uh, because we'll be up here forever. Uh, so <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, so Cozy asks, what if you try your best to connect with someone, but they're not interested? How long, how long do we keep trying until we give up? Do you ever give up? I definitely don't want to be annoying. And I can resonate with this question because it can be awkward, you know, talking to any random people, like, why are you talking to me? Second, I'm an introvert, so I'm like, why am I even up here in the first place? <laughs> so We love it. We're yeah. happy you're up here. So go. Go. Um, so... I think that, again, it goes back to where the need is. And if, if you try to connect with somebody and they're not interested in it, um, I think that it's okay to move on. And if they, um, at another point, decide that they need that connection, to be open to it. I think that the thing that I'll struggle with is that when somebody blows me off but then later needs my help, I'm like, well, you didn't need me before. You'll be fine now, right? And I think that what God is challenging me to do is say, well, you didn't need me before, but you do need me now. And so I'll go ahead and be a, make myself available. Um, but it is hard to get past that. And because of that, we're actually going to be doing a whole series of sermons. I'll just go ahead and tease this. Um, February through March, we're going to do a series of sermons uh, called Making the Connection. And so we're going to, it's going to be Making the Connection through the things that keep us apart. So we'll be talking about how to connect with people who have hurt us, 
How do we connect with people who are in different socioeconomic bracket than we are? How do we connect with people who don't look like us? How do we connect with people who are a different religion than we are? And so we're going to go through some of the barriers that can get in the way of us making connections because I genuinely believe that God doesn't say, yeah, you just go ahead and hang out with your tribe over here. I believe that God really deeply desires us to, to make the world a more beautiful place by making connections with people that, that aren't easy always to make those connections. So great question. Let's just do a whole sermon series about it. All right, ten. All right, ten four. Um, so, like I said, that was only one question where you'll be able to answer. If you guys are interested to listen to other questions, I mean, in the chat was blazing hot. Um, you know, connect with us. Connect with us on podcast. See what you did. Yes. Wholelife.church/podcast. This is Whole Life, and we'll see you all next week. Well, Matthew, you're really, uh, yeah. I like that. That was fun. All right. So if you'll tune into the podcast, also want to uh, just go ahead and remind you of those two clips that we showed you. Um, they fit in the sermon, but we also want to remind you that this evening we are uh, having a church social. Um, even if you're not really interested in the movies, maybe come along and maybe you don't know who you might run into and be able to build a connection with this evening. Um, if you look at the, um, the advertisement, it says that the movie's being shown in the church parking lot. Can we agree it's too cold to do that? Yeah, yeah we're not going to do that. We're going to be inside, okay? We're going to, we, so don't let the fear of, and can we also be also, all my friends, when I was at Upper Columbia Academy Church uh, that were from Alaska, they were wearing their flip-flops out in the 40-degree weather. We're in Florida. 50 degrees Oh, that's not why we're here. Um, so, it's too cold. We're coming inside. My friends from Alaska, you can mock us all you want, but just enjoy those icicles all to yourself. They're fine. Anyway, so, movie night tonight here. Be here. It's going to be great. There's going to be, like they said, there's going to be uh, food trucks and popcorn, all kinds of good stuff. So, you want to be here. So, be here for that. And uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads and have prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for our family. And we just pray that you would bless us and help us to make the connections that you want us to make. We pray in your name. Amen. So family, the one thing I did leave off and I just want to remind you of, and it's going to be really quick. We appreciate your financial support of our church. It's how we get things done. It's how we bless our community. And so if you're being blessed by what happens here at Whole Life, you believe in our mission, you believe in our vision, and we just ask that you would thoughtfully consider financially supporting it. If you don't think that our vision or mission is good or you don't get much out of this, I'm not asking you to give. But if you are being blessed and you're seeing us being a blessing to the community, which is what I see, then I really would like to ask you to help us not just keep steady, but actually take our, our mission and vision to the next level. So thank you for that. Family, I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. 
Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.